Hello and welcome to the ILO's Future of Work podcast. I'm Sophie Fisher. The COP27 has just wound up in Egypt. That's the acronym for the 27th Conference of the Parties to the UN Convention on Climate Change. The Egypt meeting was the latest edition of the UN's annual Climate Change Summit, where nations meet to discuss how we're going to face the challenges posed by climate change. The ILO's role in this extremely complex issue is to highlight the social dimensions of climate change, in particular as they relate to the changes will be essential in the world of work. Changes that will affect workers and employers in all industries and in all areas of the world. The ILO's delegation to COP27 was led by Mustafa Kamal Gay, Global Coordinator for Green Jobs at the ILO. And Mustafa joins us now in the studio, hot off the um, straight back from COP. Mustafa, welcome very much and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks for having me. So, tell us first of all, for you, what were the most important things that have come out of COP27? Well, I think one of the most important things... uh, is the recognition of the role of social policy and just transition uh, in mitigation and and implementation. So there is a very clear um, reference to just transition, including social dialogue and social protection in the COVID decision, which is a quite important outcome for us. Um, And tell us more about what we mean by a just transition from an ILO perspective. Well, we understand well that decarbonization will um, have impacts on economies and societies in different ways. We will see an important potential for new and possibly more and better jobs, but there will be an avoidable loss of employment and, and, and income. So how do we make sure that climate policies maximize those opportunities for economic and social gains and minimize the risk uh, of disruption is what we mean by a just transition. And one of the big items on the agenda of this particular COP was that issue of adaptation, wasn't it? Um, And the question of handling uh, loss and damage and mitigation. How did that come out? I think there's been very important outcomes, uh, in particular on loss and damage. This has been a demand for from developing countries, in particular those mostly impacted by climate change. And there's a quite important step forward with the recognition of the need to provide a mechanism of funding for loss and damage and set a timeline that this has to be put in place with the transitional committee by next COP uh, in 2023. And on adaptation, there has been important progress on the global goal to adaptation, which is also quite important, um, rebalancing adaptation with mitigation. So this is quite important. Let's talk a little bit about the ILO's actual activities at the COP because um, the meeting went on for for two weeks and the ILO had a just transition pavilion for the first time and I think 45 events took place in that pavilion, is that right? Yes, indeed. We had uh, had for the first time a COP pavilion on just transition. There are thematic pavilions on food systems, on water, etc., but this was the first time we had a space dealing with issues in the world of work. It's a partnership between the ILO, the European Commission, the UN Climate Secretariat, but also with IOE and ITUC. 
And it was a useful space for informal diplomacy, for convening a number of events, as you said, 45 um, events, but also a knowledge uh, hub, as we called it, where we had experts, really knowledgeable experts speaking of uh, various issues, like the CEO of the Wind Energy Association, we had the chair of the Scottish Just Transition uh, Commission, and people like that coming and share their experience. Do you think having that, that physical presence with the title Just Transition helped help to focus some of the COP's delegates' attention on that particular aspect of, of climate change and its effects? Yes, absolutely. I, I can just uh, say that myself, in the time I was at the pavilion, have met several ministers just coming by, the Minister of Investment of Egypt. We had the mayor of Glasgow who came at the pavilion just to exchange ideas on how we're taking forward the just transition agenda. So it was a really a way of convening um, not only our constituents, but also ministers and other delegates. Um, and that made visible just transition as an important element of the climate agenda. Okay, now, in this Just Transition Pavilion, um, there were a number of key events and a couple of important new initiatives from the ILO. The first one I'd like to talk about is the Green Jobs for Youth Pact, which I imagine was the purpose of that was to focus attention on the effects that climate change is going to have on young people in the world of work. Is that right? Tell us more. Well, absolutely, and, and I think we have to see that the drive uh, behind uh, climate action now is made of young people. They really are the ones pushing and asking for more. But they also are not only wanting um, um, environmental sustainability, they aspire to decent jobs and, and, and income. Now, what we see as a difference is that many of these young people are not looking for any kind of job. They look for decent work, but that matches their environmental aspirations. So the pact which we put together between the ILO, UNICEF and UNEP is trying to do that, to marry this youth engagement on the environmental side with aspirations of decent work. And we aim to create together uh, one million green jobs um, working with a number of other partners. Do, do you think it's become starting to become an issue for young people when they're choosing their sector or their employer um, to, to, to spend their careers with, whether to the extent that that employer is recognising issues related to climate change. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We see that not only from young people, but the partners that we work with, like LinkedIn, for example, uh, committing to the pact, but they have also indicated so. They see in their data sets that young people and their search for care and moves, consider who is going to be the new employer, what is their environmental stance, are they really accounting for sustainability considerations. So those are important and companies themselves are realising it. And of course, the other aspect of that for young people is giving them the skills that they're going to need for this, this new generation of jobs, actually. Um, where does that fit in? Well, the skilling is quite important, and with the pact, we aim to support skills development and enterprise development. But there is also this dimension of technical skill and, and training. So that's why another product that we took to the COP is a greening TVET um, guide, which we've done with colleagues in skills here. But this is going to help 
technical and, and training um, uh, institutions anticipate the needs for um, uh, uh, the emerging occupations. You know, when it's to renewable energy, we're moving to a hydrogen economy that demands different skills, even in advanced economies. So we hope this guide is going to help in that transition, but meeting the skills that are needed today, but, but for the economy of the future. I mean, you spent two weeks in the conference, walking the corridors, listening to conversations, talking to people. Do you get the impression that delegates not directly involved in the world of work as we are, that they are starting to comprehend this aspect of the climate change picture and how important it is if we are actually going to have a successful transition, that that transition should be just and it has to include things like skills and mitigation and the opinions of young people and indeed um, things such as the way that climate change does not affect all groups equally. Are they getting the big picture now? Well, I think it's work in progress, but to some extent, the message we've been trying to put across, which is that ambition is about people. It's not just about numbers. And I think we've been able to gradually make delegates see the need for, for social policy and the imperatives of a just transition and decent work to actually enable uh, ambitious action against climate change. OK, and one of the key topics that came up at the COP um, this time was the issue of financing and money. And I know that another important uh, product that was launched by the ILO in the Just Transition Pavilion was this Just Transition finance tool on banking and investment. Tell us a little bit more about that and how it works. Well, it's a tool that we developed with actors in the banking industry and, and researchers like London School of Economics. And I think this is going to be critical because um, uh, uh, the COP decisions are very clear that there is a need from some uh, three to five trillion dollars that would be required. But obviously, this is not going to come from public money. It will require uh, multilateral uh, development banks, financing institutions, but more importantly, the private sector. Now, this is a specific tool to, to help banking and, and insurance industry align with the climate needs of their customers and, and the financing. And we are also positioning this guide as something the ILO can offer in the Just Energy Transition Partnerships, like the one that was just announced uh, for uh, $20 billion for Indonesia. How you now leverage private financing in the JetPs and other um, modalities of climate financing will be quite important and we have something to go uh, to offer to countries. Did you get a sense that with, with things like this and now there are concrete tools to offer, that a lot of the disparate parts of the climate change problem are starting to kind of come together, all the different bits of the solution, financing, jobs and so on, not just looking, as you said, at, at the figures of 1.5 or how much it's going to cost, that people are starting to get a more holistic picture of the solution? I think there is a better understanding of the complexity and the need for holistic solutions. The challenges are that we need speed and we need countries to fulfill the commitments. And I think if speed and fulfilling of commitments, including financing, happens, then opening the door with other actors, workers, employees, organizations, and the actors in the world of work, like technical organizations like us, the ILO and others, 
then we will be able to advance at the uh, pace and, uh, and um, uh, scale that is needed. So it's good that we have a greater recognition of the importance of a just transition. It's good that we have specific concrete mentions of the importance of social dialogue and social protection in the outcome papers. Where do we go from here? How do we keep progress moving forward? I think implementation is the word of the moment. Uh, the COB is just a platform for dialogue, but action will happen at the national level. And I think there we need to really scale up our engagement, supporting countries, implement their indices, in the JETPs, you know, where it started with South Africa, now Indonesia is coming in the picture, Vietnam is on the way, how the IWA can play a meaningful role in working in these major economies on their JETPs and with developing countries in general, but through our country offices and, and presence is, is what we need. But I think we are, we are on a good way to do that. So next year, it's the opportunity for the global stock take of progress on climate change. Is the ILO contributing to that? So will the issues that we are interested in be measured and taken into account as part of that stock take? The ILO is very fortunate to be, uh, have been co-opted by the UNFCC Secretariat to provide technical input in the global stock take. The ILO served as expert on response measures where issues of decent work, just transition and economic diversification and transformation were discussed. So that was a major opportunity. So we hope that going to next year, all what we provided as technical inputs in the stock take will be taken on board. Um, and that when countries reflect on what to do next, a critical element for us is the financing. There needs to be dedicated funding mechanisms for a just transition as there is now one being uh, put in place on loss and damage. But just transition, funding the social dimensions of the, of the ecological transition is indispensable. So that's the next milestone for us. Right, well, fingers crossed that policymakers keep their eye on that particular ball and we can continue to make progress. Mustafa, Mustafa Kamalgaith, thank you very much for joining us on the Future of Work podcast. Um, and for now, that's all we have time for. Let me wish you goodbye. And I hope you will be able to join us again soon for our next podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.